Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Oh my goodness, look who's here. It's uh, from the North Country, and he borrowed Santa's sleigh to get down here today. Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello, buddy. Yeah, it's beautiful out there. First Cold, all, but sunny. You Ooh. had a great Thanksgiving. We did. Yep, had to, got together with family and friends. and Who cooked the turkey? The family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> it was great. Good. Had a good time. Good. So. And uh, beautiful weather. Oh, it was nice. Down yeah. to St. George. Oh, you're making I, me jealous. I know. I know. It, it was nice. We missed you last week, but we had a good conversation with Ray Bagby. Good. good. And learn more about wagons in the Old West. But what are you going to talk about today? This is the final and ending chapter of Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce Indians. You know, let me see if I can remember. We left Chief Joseph, and they were just starting to take off on their ride, weren't they? They had... They had, I'm going to give a little summary, okay? Okay, good. So, so people know geographically what we're talking about. We're talking about southeastern Washington, northeastern Oregon, and across the border into central Idaho, near what we call Grangeville now, yep. the Salmon River, the Clearwater area. Right. So that's the area where all this is taking place. Okay. Now, uh, the, they were told they had 30 days to get out of the uh, from their homelands and get to the reservation. What was the big hurry? You never did explain they, that to they me. Didn't, they just said, you have 30 days. 30 days? To just, me, that's ridiculous. Yeah, just go. So they were working at that, trying. Well, uh, during this time, there were 21 young warriors that, that wanted revenge. And that kind of started the battle works going. On June 17th, there was a battle at Whiteburg. Creek, which yeah. was a Captain Perry, which was a complete rout of the army. Right. None of the uh, Indians were killed. Now, July 11th was the Battle of the Clearwater with General Howard. and uh, That's the one where they were on each side of the river, and then yes. the Indians went over on one side, etc.? Right. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to kind of pick it up from there and right up until uh, the end. So anyway, uh, so Howard, General Howard, had deployed. He was... He thought he was fighting about 300 first-class warriors. And uh, so he actually went on the defensive. He deployed his troops in a huge circle, stationing himself and his staff in the middle. Uh, the general uh, held his defense line for about 30 hours. Okay, The Nez Perce countered with an un-Indian-like tactic. All around the soldiers' defensive perimeter, the warriors dug rifle pits and built rock piles to protect themselves. Now, that's something the now, Indians... that is something I did yeah. not know. But, and that's unheard of. Yeah. Now, here you have an army of 600 troopers having been surrounded by about 100 Nez Perce Indians. 100. Now, they, did the soldiers dig in also? Well, they were kind of in a circle. I didn't... You know, uh, surrounding their their uh, general. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I guess they dug. Sounds in. like a real brave guy. Yeah. Anyway, and the Nez Perce horsemen would uh, join their dug-in comrades, and the fighting went on. And this was hot. This was in the middle of the summer. Yeah. And Chief Joseph was seen from time to time fighting as an ordinary warrior. And the soldiers cut off from water. They fought thirst as well as the Nez Perce sharpshooters. So now the soldiers were further inland. They were surrounded. Oh. They were surrounded by the Indians. Real bright general yeah. there. Now, there was a Sergeant McCarthy, and here's what he said, quote, 
the enemy everywhere fronting us or galloping by us, firing from horseback, musketry all around our position like firecrackers on 4th of July, howitzers booming, gatling guns, Indians yelling, soldiers cheering, and the mules of our immense pack train braying loud enough to drown out all of the sounds, the sun on burnt necks, and the thermometer somewhere around 100 and no water. That was from his journal. How far were they from water, though? Uh, I don't know. Because they, they were, you know, you'd think there'd be creeks or something close by, but evidently they didn't, they weren't close enough. Yeah. So, and this is up by the Clearwater. Right. So late in the day, the Indians began kind of losing interest in the battle. They didn't have much to gain, and so they left their trenches and took off and left. Now, um, realizing that uh, he was opposed only by a token uh, force, General Howard kind of ordered his command to advance. Well, the Nez Perce warriors, they just gradually took their women and children and basically left. So anyway, the outnumbered warriors had proved themselves capable of coping with an army's battle tactics. Leaders concluded that the bands would fight better if they were integrated under the joint command of the Council of Chiefs. So they had a council meeting on July 15th to discuss what to do. Now Joseph declared himself in favor of returning south to fight for their homeland. He Where wanted they were to, originally. Right, back to their homeland. And he said, I do not want to die in a strange land. Now, the other chiefs wanted to go, uh, keep going east, okay, uh, where they might form kind of a military alliance with the crows, okay, looking glass uh, with the crow, and, uh, but it was unanimously voted. That would have taken them over into Montana, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. But looking glass uh, was unanimously voted to be the head man, to be the chief to, over the Indians there. So five bands of Nez Perce became a single group of refugees, basically. Now... So we're going to start with the retreat, all right? Now, the Nez Perce started up the Lola Trail on July 16th, 7,000 feet. The way was blocked by boulders and trees and all this. Well, General Howard was still chasing them, and what he saw kind of figured they must have been desperate because they looked like they, the horses and mules were being just pushed and pushed and, and uh, some horses with broken legs laying beside the trail. Really? So anyway, the Nez Perce, uh, in just 11 days, they reached Montana, and they came out from the Lolo Canyon on July 27th, so we're still in the summer. They entered a cliffside narrows of the Bitterroot Valley and found that their way was blocked by a sturdy kind of a timber barricade, and there was a guy by the name of Captain Charles Ron. Okay, now he was manning the roadblock with only 35 soldiers, hoping to block them from... Did he know they were coming? He must have done somehow, because he had this roadblock set up. I see, on the trail. Yeah. Okay. So he had 35 soldiers, about 200 volunteers, and a party of flathead Indians. So they didn't have Verizon back in those days, so they couldn't call ahead. They didn't. So Looking Glass, Joseph, and Whitebird went forward to ask this guy if they could pass. They just went, you know, peacefully. Oh, they went up to the captain? Yeah, said, and he wouldn't agree. He said, no, I'm not going to let you go through. Well, he only had 30 guys. 35. But he had 200 volunteers. But guess what? The volunteers decided, we've had enough. We're leaving. Oh, they went back home. They went back home. Hmm. So the next morning, uh, he was getting ready for a battle. And about 10 o'clock that morning, he looked up on way up on the side of the hill. And here's a bunch of Indians on horseback on the side of a cliff uh, going past his his blockade. It didn't work. They just went around him. They went around him. They just went around him. Hmm. So they... Dropped into that's that. poor planning. <laughs> that was <laughs> so. Now here they are, uh, kind of in the Bitterroot Valley area, and there's a place called Stevensville, uh, 
and they moved south along the Bitterroot Valley, 15 miles a day, and they didn't bother the settlers, and the settlers didn't bother them. Uh, General Howard, they thought, was several days behind, but he was a little closer than what they thought. What about the guy that they went around his barricade? Did he offer any resistance whatsoever? I kind of think he said... uh, I'm not getting paid enough. I see. One of those. <laughs> yeah. So a Barney Fife attitude. I'm just going to stay right here. I see. I so, see. so anyway, they crossed the Continental Divide uh, into the Big Hole Valley, and that, that's not too far from the Salmon River. Right. And they were resting, grazing the herds, and uh, just kind of taking it easy. Then there was a Colonel John Gibbon, 163 soldiers, 35 volunteers. They spotted the Indians in the Big Hole Valley. And at dawn on August 9th, Gibbon's men charged on foot and caught the Nez Perce fast asleep, which kind of surprising. That makes no sense to me Yeah, whatsoever. because you're thinking, these guys have been on top of everything. Yeah. And how did they get caught like this? Well, the Nez Perce, was, it was kind of a disorganized resistance. Uh, at the eastern end of the camp, Joseph and Whitebird and Looking Glass began ra- rallying their people. They fought. Uh, a ragged line of warriors advanced against the troops. Again, outnumbered. Now, the troops were caught in kind of a deadly crossfire from the Nez Perce snipers along the river, and soldiers were falling, and it was Colonel Gibbon who broke off the battle. He left. Really? Yeah. He had a hundred and... Yeah, 163 against and, and maybe a hundred Indians. That's what I was wondering, yeah. yeah. So he ordered his troops to withdraw. Well, in the end, Gibbon had, Gibbon had lost 29 uh, dead, and the Indians um, had lost 89 by their count, yeah. and all but uh, of the Indians, 89, and all but 12 of their dead were women and children and old men. Oh kind my! Of, you know, terrible. Yeah, but anyway. So it was basically a massacre. It, it really was, even though they they got away sort of. Yeah. But they the people blamed their loss on Looking Glass because he was kind of the chief of everything right there. So in their bitterness, they resolved to treat all whites as potential enemies. Scouts reported that General Howard had allowed his Indian scouts to scalp the Nez Perce dead. Now, Uh, earlier, I I think I mentioned that the Chief Joseph told his warriors, do not desecrate their bodies. You did mention that, yeah. Leave the dead alone. So anyway, Howard continued to uh, march uh, after the Nez Perce. Olicut, which is Chief Joseph, uh, Joseph's brother, his brother, yeah. uh, he raced back through the darkness with 28 warriors to Howard's camp and drove off their mules. So they went back kind of as a guerrilla warfare thing and drove off the, the pack mules of General Howard's. So he was kind of afoot. Well, yeah, they probably had some horses. Yeah. So August 22nd, here we are getting into the fall almost. Uh, the bands crossed Targi Pass, zigzagged eastward through Yellowstone. A lot of people don't realize he went through oh, part they, of Yellowstone. They came quite a way south then. They did, yeah. yeah. And again, the, the young men kind of broke Joseph's rule, and they did kill a few white uh, settlers. So anyway... So while the Nez Perce were struggling through the rugged mountains east of Yellowstone, Looking Glass galloped ahead to confer with the Crow Indians. Now, the Crows had scouted for the U.S. Army, and they were kind of afraid of the U.S. Army. So they weren't in any big hurry to join up. And this is down by Yellowstone. Yeah, okay. kind of east in that direction. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so now they had now traveled about 1,000 miles. What was the reason for going on such a long trek? Was it just primarily to evade? Just to escape, because they, they figured if they were caught, they would just be massacred. So now next, they would try to get help from the Sioux 
led by Sitting Bull, who had actually fled across the Canadian border earlier that year. They were hoping to get help. So the Nez Perce pulled themselves together, uh, drew more heavily on the courage of Joseph, and really he was kind of their rock. He was their guardian. He was their main guy, really. So anyway, the army units from four separate commands were now converging on the fugitives, and using an old trick, the Nez Perce allowed the soldiers to see them starting toward the Shoshone River, and then they did something a little unusual. They doubled back. The bands pushed on towards Yellowstone. Uh, now they're in Montana. There's a Colonel Sturgis who picked up their trail and closed ground. It was starting to get close to him. When Sturgis, and now here's this, 350 soldiers reached this creek. The Nez Perce sharpshooters held them off while the families hurried on. So basically, the families are keeping going. The warriors are staying to kind of block the way from the military. And they held off almost 400. 350, yeah. Wow. Now, uh, General Howard learned that the Nez Perce had escaped again. He was not happy with this. Okay, He figured they could wipe them out with no problem. But remember, he was called the Napoleon of the, of the Indians, yeah. Chief Joseph. Yeah. So anyway, he wrote to uh, Colonel Miles. Uh, miles and uh, they departed with seven companies of infantry and a troop of cavalry. That's a lot of guys. We're getting a lot of guys here. Meanwhile, the Nez Perce uh, broke out of the mountains onto the rolling terrain over there in Montana. Uh, I have a dumb question. Okay. How did the soldiers or the United States cavalry, how did they know where to go and where to look for them? Uh, you know, I'm guessing it's just kind of, I don't, maybe they could follow their tracks, or maybe, I don't know if they had scouts out watching. I mean, that's a good question. But they, I guess they knew where they were headed. But by this time, some of the wounded and the sick were slowing things down, and so they began kind of dropping off and maybe even dying alone. What would they, the cavalry, what, did they, what would they have done? Do you have any idea on if they would have left the sick and the wounded? It does not say, and I would hope there was some... Yeah, human, something, yeah. human uh, yeah. interest there. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're at the end of September, September 17th. Uh, we're kind of in north-central Montana. Uh, they forded the Muscle Shell River and pushed on north. They crossed the Missouri River eight days later. And now, by the you know, it's starting to get cold. Cold winds starting oh, in. Oh yeah. So at the end of September, the bands made camp on Snake Creek near the Bear Paw Mountains. And at this point, they have traveled 1,600 miles. They're within 40 miles of the Canadian border. So they decided to kill some buffalo and try to get some food and some warmth. Uh, anyway, the chief did not know that Colonel Miles' troops were were coming down on him. So at 6 a.m. on September 30th, the scouts spotted the Bear Paw encampment. Miles closed in with nearly 600 men, and he'd ordered his troops to charge. Now, wait a minute. Uh, what year was this? This is was, what, 18... It was after the Custer Massacre, right? Yes, I believe so. And wasn't General Miles one of the important generals that didn't show up to help Custer? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So... As I say, he's closing in. Uh, the Nez Perce saw Miles' cavalry. The warriors held their fire until the cavalry reached a range of 100 yards. One battalion had 53 casualties out of 115 men because the warriors picked them off, uh, the, the officers. Well, they stopped their charge. They died for cover. Miles then threw a ring of troops around the whole camp, and the siege began. 
Joseph and his 12-year-old daughter Sarah were catching horses when a cavalry unit swept around them to capture the herds. Well, several nurse first jumped on ponies and fled north toward the Canadian border. Joseph actually put his daughter on horseback and sent her galloping after them. Really? Okay. So he raced through a line of soldiers back to the camp to help direct the defense. And at 1 p.m., Miles ordered a second charge, and Joseph met it head-on with his warriors. But by the end of the day, Joseph knew, you know, that the worst uh, uh, was, it was coming. And, what was the casualty numbers? You know, I don't know at this point. But the thing that kind of bothered him a lot was the loss of his beloved brother, Olakut. Oh, he died. He, uh, Yeah, this good-natured, peace-loving oh, giant, they called him. But did the daughter get away? You know, it doesn't say that, that if she did or not, because I think some did make it into Canada. Now, and now the other members of his family? Don't know. Don't really? Know sure. Kind of vague right there. Yeah. Okay. So here we are now. It's October 1st. And you know what is, the weather can be? Up in Montana? Storms cold. blowing in, hunger, yeah. cold. Chief Joseph sent six of their trusted warriors to the Sioux in Canada in the hope that they could persuade Sitting Bull to come to the rescue. Well, he did not know that all six Nez Perce uh, had been killed by hostile Assiniboine Indians. So these six guys uh, that went to Canada... They can't win for losing. They were killed before they could even get, wow. get to Sitting Bull. So here we are, Colonel Miles, uh, uh, to avoid a bigger battle, he began to ne- negotiate with Joseph. Okay, so they're, they're starting to communicate. Well, the Nez Perce leaders uh, met to decide finally whether or not to give up. Joseph and Whitebird were the only chiefs left to decide the fate of the Nez Perce. Joseph chose surrender. Whitebird promised to yield also. Now, Whitebird actually slipped through the guard lines and did make his escape to Canada with 14 warriors and some of the women. So, as I say, some of them did escape. But we don't know if Joseph's daughter made it or not. We don't know. Oh, my. So, anyway, in his camp, before a translator and recording officer, Joseph spoke the words that would soon touch the hearts of Americans everywhere. And I'm going to quote this and read this. Uh, He says, It is cold and we have no blankets. The little children are freezing to death. My people, some of them, have run away to the hills and have no blankets, no food. No one knows where they are, perhaps freezing to death. I want time to look for my children and see how many of them I can find. Maybe I shall find them among the dead. Hear me, my chiefs. I am tired. My heart is sick and sad. From where the sun now stands, I will fight no more forever. Mm. Just an inspirational uh, to me. I I get chills when I read that. Well, we only have about a minute and a half left. Give me an update as to what you know historically happened to Chief Joseph. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, they uh, took the Indians to uh, uh, and put them on reservations, but they wouldn't put them back on the Lapway Reservation. They took them to Kansas, and that makes no sense. To no, me. and a lot of them died from malaria. Oh and my. then they went into Kansas to a, a reservation in Kansas, and again a bunch of them died. Uh, and, but in hope of uh, improving his people's uh, situation, he actually went to uh, Washington to try to uh, see if they couldn't do something. Washington, D.C.? Yeah. yeah. He boarded a train for the... Uh, and anyway, uh, only 118 of the Indians were permitted to rejoin their tribe on the Lapway Reservation. The other 150 were sent to Colville Re- Reservation in Washington right. Territory. Right. Anyway, 1901, Joseph told an interviewer, my home is in the Wallowa Valley, and I want to go back there to live. Well, Now, where did they confine him? 
he, I think he was up in Washington as well. I see. But in 1904, he sat by the fire in his teepee. He suddenly fell forward, and the chief doctor said that he died from a broken heart. Mm. And here was a peace-loving chief. Yeah. They, you know, I... Uh, to me, one of the great men of the of the of the West, and really, I guess, as a synopsis, real quick, what was the gain for the federal government in doing this? Okay, well, remember, initially they had ten thousand square miles of, of right. reservation Over on Oregon, Washington, and Idaho yeah, area, yeah. and then they reduced it to one thousand because, as typically happens, the white men wanted the better land for farming, for ranching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say gold mining, but that probably came too. And so, as typically happened, the Reed. reservations got smaller and smaller, and then the Indian agents, you know, some were good, some were bad. Yeah. So That's a sad story. It really is. I, uh, an amazing story of, uh, to me, one of the great leaders of the Old West. I agree. Chief Boy, Joseph. you did a good job with that historical synopsis. I like that. Thank you. You bet. Thank you.